good to see all of you, and so good to be back here at Lightshine Church. I have to say real quick a thank you to Jeff, because he has this amazing ability to pick out songs that are like exactly what we're going to be talking about, and I was busy all week and didn't have a chance to like talk to him about what the sermon was, and he was able to do it anyway, so I think it really speaks to like the preparation, the thoughtfulness, and kind of the way that God's Spirit is on the work that's happening here. So I think in the future, I'm just not going to tell you guys what going <laughs> on, and then see if the Spirit is really connected to um, Put the Spirit to Yeah, exactly. So, but it is good to be here, and good to be here during Advent, because I often miss the, the things that are so meaningful and significant that, that we do here at Lightshine. All the service projects that are happening, the lighting of the Advent candle, the Advent series that we're in, the scriptures that we read, the readings that we do, but probably the most significant and meaningful so far has been the uh, ugly sweater uh, <laughs> that we've done. Uh, I think you all got plenty of Jesus points uh, throughout the rest of the day and all the Advent season, no need to even come back. <laughs> oh, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> There's still a fourth week for Advent. <laughs> So the Advent is a wonderful time, and I'm sure Rob has already said in some of the past sermons uh, we've kicked it off, the Advent just, it simply means uh, the coming. So a time when we're able to think about the coming of Jesus, and this idea that our world as humans, that we were once disconnected from our Creator through the action that we have taken as a people, and so God's chosen method to reconcile us back to Himself was to kind of step out of eternity into time, put skin and flesh on, and meet us right here on our turf in our neighborhood uh, in order to bring us back into this whole and complete relationship with God. So what a meaningful thing it is. And because of how meaningful it is, it's not really something you can just do on Christmas Day. It, it's nice that we join with uh, the saints all over the world and all through history in thinking about this for a period of time, that we sit with it, we let it really sink in how meaningful it is. I'm so really glad to be starting out and, and doing a sermon with you guys today. So we're going to actually be reading um, two readings, uh, two short ones, one in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and it's the story of, of when Gabriel comes and tells Mary that she is going to be with child. Um, the second one we're going to read is uh, Matthew, chapter 11, where John the Baptist is in prison, and he asks the question, uh, are you really the one who is to come? And so we're going to get started with uh, Luke chapter 1. I'll invite you to look at the screen and read along with me. And when I finish, I will say this is the word of the Lord. If you agree, I would invite you to join me in saying thanks be to God. Um, so we'll begin in verse 26. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 through 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then do you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. So many of you know that I'm from North Carolina. And uh, being from North Carolina, my favorite NFL football team is the Carolina Panthers. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Last year was the year. You know, they had this amazing season, and they looked like they were going to go all the way. So all the fans, me and my brother and the ones we know, we were all really expectant. We had a lot on our mind about what was going to happen. Well, finally, they get into the Super Bowl uh, game, and they're playing against the Denver, Denver uh, Broncos. And it wasn't long until we realized that they were getting completely stopped and that they really just had no chance to win. Um, so just throwing out any expectations we had. Um, so if you were to go up to anyone who's a Panthers fan this year, and you were to say, hey, what do you expect? What do you think is going to happen? They might say something like this. They might say, well, I was really disappointed because I had expected them to do something, um, but now I have a lot of doubts. Um, so this is really similar to what we're going to kick off uh, talking about this morning. This concept that doubt can come when our reality doesn't match up with our expectations. Uh, this is certainly the case with Mary in our story as Gabriel comes to her. She had probably a certain expectation of how her life was going to go. She's engaged to be married, and then suddenly she is faced with this new reality um, that she is going to carry the Son of God, um, and that her life is forever going to change. There was a, a little boy who uh, came home from Sunday school, and he went and, and quickly found a paintbrush and started to paint a picture. His dad came in and said, what are you painting? And the little boy um, said, well, in Sunday school today, uh, they, they said to go home and paint a picture of what it looks like for the Messiah to come. And the dad said, well, how do you know what that looks like? The little boy held up the paintbrush, and he said, you know, I don't know what that looks like, um, but can you paint that picture for me? Now, if you were to go to Mary, and you were to say, here, here's a paintbrush. I want you to paint a picture 
of what it looks like for the Messiah to come. And paint a picture of what your life is going to look like. The picture she would paint would be far different than the reality. This was also the case with John the Baptist in our story that we read today. If you walked up to John the Baptist, he was known for talking about the coming Messiah. And he said, here, uh, take this paintbrush and paint us a picture of what that would look like. We have a really good indication of what he may have painted based on the gospel narrative. One of the things that John the Baptist often talks about is that this coming messianic figure was going to come with an unquenchable fire. In other words, he's going to come in power, authority, judgment. He's going to roll up in there, he's going to kick the door down, and he's going to set the place on fire. Now, this is kind of the picture that he had of Jesus. Another one that he had as he would write about the coming connects with this sort of motif that is present in Old Testament and in early Jewish literature and in some of the things that Jesus would say. And it's this connection to God's people and things like the vine and the branches and the trees. One time Jesus was with his disciples and they walked up to a fig tree and the tree seemed to be alive, but it had no fruit. And so Jesus condemned the tree and the tree died. And it was a picture, of some say, of the nation of Israel and how they weren't bearing fruit for Jesus. They had no fruit when Jesus came. And so often there's this picture of kind of judgment through the tree. And one of the ways that John the Baptist would talk about the coming of the Messiah was this picture of this figure with an axe in one hand to chop down any unfruit-bearing tree, and then the other hand having a shovel or a sort of... Uh, type of thing that would sort out the wheat from the chaff so you'd be left with only the good things. John had this Old Testament picture in his mind of the things in prophecy where you often see a connection between judgment for the one who is to come, but also blessing. Um, it's, it's often present in all the different things. So as he's sitting there in prison, I had a picture of John that he maybe felt good about how much Jesus was blessing others but maybe didn't feel good about the lack of judgment. When are you going to draw your sword, light this place on fire, kind of thing. And so John, it says that he's, he's in prison, and when he had heard of the things Jesus was doing, he sent his disciple out. So the question then would be, well, what was Jesus doing? Um, Jesus at that time was uh, out in the boondock areas of Galilee. He was far from any political or cultural center like Jerusalem. He had this unfit sort of group of disciples who were following him around, and yes, he was uh, performing some miracles. So there are a lot of different ways that the doubt that John had could have been manifest. One of those ways uh, might have been in the legitimacy of Jesus. He says, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And it's easy to say, yeah, he may have been questioning if Jesus was legitimately the Messiah. Another one uh, might have been not about the coming of Jesus, but how Jesus chose uh, to do his strategy once he got here. Uh, most of the scholars sort of land in that place. That, that John really did feel like Jesus was the Messiah, but that he was really questioning his methodology and his strategy. And not just that, but maybe even his timing. Jesus is now a year and a half, maybe two years into a three-year ministry, and he still hasn't busted the door down and done what John maybe thought he was going to do. 
Is anybody here from a like a cold, cold region? I know you're from Minnesota, Ohio. What's some other Michigan? Uh, Chicago, right? Good, good stuff. So you'll probably resonate with this. Well, how about anyone going to a cold place over the holidays, even? Okay, cool. Where are you guys going? Na- oh, cool. <laughs> We're not really in that cold of an area, but you know, being from North Carolina, I, I uh, there are plenty of times when this type of thing happens. But you'll resonate, those of you who are from the cold. Uh, with there, there are those times where you're in the room, you're in the living room, whatever it might be, and you're all nice and toasty and warm, and then somebody comes in the door, they leave the door open, they're taking off their coat, taking off their shoes, starting a conversation. Well, if it's anything like my family, you have the crazy uncle who's going to say something, you know, something like, hey, are you going to close the door? And that would usually be enough, but if it's like uh, my crazy uncle, that isn't enough. There's a little bit more that needs to be said. It's, it's going to be, hey, are you going to close the door, or are you just going to let the cold air out, and uh, the warm air out, and the cold air in? Uh, there's this little bit of another nudge there when that happens. I think that's a little bit of what John the Baptist is kind of doing. He says, are you the one who is to come? And that probably could have been enough. But he wanted to continue, or should we just go ahead and look for another? Um, because John the Baptist had these, a number of different ways that he um, was doubting Jesus. And so we see the response that Jesus had. Jesus um, says, he kind of fights prophecy with prophecy in the verses that we read. John's asking a question about prophecy. Are you the one who was prophesied to come? So Jesus responds with, a saying right out of Isaiah uh, that was about the one who was to come. He says, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I think that doubt can come when your reality is different um, from your expectation. I think John may have been painting a picture of what he thought it should look like when God would not only come, but what Jesus would do once he got there, of his method, of his strategies, and those kinds of things. I think as we've all come here this morning, that there are ways that we all have doubt. It it might be in the legitimacy, this sort of question of the birth of Jesus. Is this son of God, this baby, really, was it really God? Um, I think a lot of us are probably past that and on to the kind of the next piece that was really what Mary and John the Baptist were facing. Not the question of, is Jesus coming into my life, but what is he doing now that he's here? How, what's the strategy? What's the plan? When are we going to draw our swords? We're painting a picture of what that should look like. Maybe for you it's, it's about the timing. You know, I think Mary could have said, you know, God, why don't you just wait a little bit? Let me get married, then people won't think so negatively of me. Um, for John the Baptist, it's uh, you're two years into your ministry. Where are you going to get this thing going? If we really dig deep, I think each of us could think about a time where we've asked God, why did you let that happen then? Or why have you not let that happen yet? Um, but my hope is that we'll be able to hold on to the response that God had in both situations of Mary and John. To Mary, the, she says, uh, why me? How is this even possible? And the response is, 
the Spirit will come upon you, and you will be overshadowed by the Most High, uh, for nothing is impossible with God. Um, and then for John the Baptist, it was as if to say, um, just let me paint that picture for you. Now, some of you know, um, if you can't tell already, that I'm somewhat of a talker. Um, maybe you never would have guessed, but um, some joke around, Rob and Rick have made fun of me for that before. If you've ever been in a car ride with me, you know, uh, I, I talk. You don't know what you're talking about. No. <laughs> maybe it's just me. So. But actually, when we were in the, uh, Rob mentioned we did this, this launch team process, and I was on the launch team. We did the strengths finder. You guys ever done that kind of thing? And when you do the strengths finder, it comes back with like these words that tell you about yourself. And one of them for me was communicator, you know, shock, shocker there. Um, the other one was woo, like W-O-O. And then you're supposed to read the description out loud. And Kyle Richmond so graciously pointed out that on mine it says, there hardly is ever a time where you don't have something to say. <laughs> probably a, a accurate Now, my mom knew that when I was growing up as a little kid. I would come to her often and I'd be talking away. We still do. She's a talker as well. We talk on the phone like almost every night. She's in North Carolina and we still do that. But as a kid, I remember there would be these times where she's maybe busy. She has her hands full. She's cutting some things up, trying to prepare dinner that night. There's multiple things boiling on the stove. And here I am just trying to have this uh, conversation. And she would reply so graciously with uh, something like, uh, Luke, I'm not in a condition to talk to you about that right now. And so I've reflected a little bit on what that word, the condition, is. <laughs> what, is the, what is the condition that we all, all are in? And so the first thing we've seen so far is that doubt can come when our reality doesn't match up to our expectations. But doubt can also come when our, or our, uh, our condition uh, influences our convictions. Um, it's the case, and you probably all resonate with this, that when something bad happens, when you have a difficult thing that goes on in your life, that you're much more prone to doubt, uh, much more prone to anxiety and to fears, and you're much more prone to a whole lot of other things when things aren't going well. So this may well have been the case with Mary, but we see why, in part, uh, she probably was chosen by God because of how incredible of a person she really is. Because when the angel comes to her, really is dropping a bomb on her and her life and on her plans. She's being faced with a condition. She's being faced, faced with a situation that she had not planned for. And so it would have been really easy for her to get focused on the how. Sort of the how of this, how is this going to work? So, so God is going to use me, and what's the plan? And what's the strategy? And what's the, what's the thing that's going to happen? How is this going to happen through me? But instead, what she's able to do is kind of focus back onto the who of who God is. Not a focus on the how, but a focus on the who. And so she writes this, this poem or this short song. And, you know, if you've ever, if you're a songwriter or a poetry a person like that or a person who's creative, um, you probably resonate with sometimes when bad things happen, it's easy to write something about that experience. Like David in the Bible, he would write things like, Woe is me, for God has done this to me, and I'm lamenting, and things are bad. And that's an okay thing to do. But her natural response wasn't to go there, wasn't to get into how is this happening, and woe is me, but instead to point to God in the song that she wrote. 
So I'm just going to read four verses of it, but really hope that you'll think with me about the way she points straight to God right after she gets this news from Gabriel. She says, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Not the God that put me in a difficult place, but God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So faced with a difficult circumstance, but I'm not allowing that to change her mind and to get her to have this inability to focus not on the, the how, but to focus on the who of who God is. Now when uh, John the Baptist uh, sends this message back to Jesus, he simply sends his reply back. He says, go and tell him what you've seen and heard, the blind see and the lame walk. So they leave, and then he continues talking to his people who are gathered around him, and he talks about John the Baptist. And there are a number of ways Jesus could have talked about John the Baptist. He could have said, man, this guy really gets stuck on the how. Uh, really gets stuck on, on the plans and strategies, doesn't he? Um, but, but Jesus didn't choose to go that direction. Instead of focusing on the qualities of John that were questioning the how, he focused on the quality of John where he's pointing everyone to the who, the person of Jesus. And so he says that no person who is ever born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist. Then he goes on to say, because John the Baptist has been crying out in the wilderness, pointing people to the coming Messiah. Um, This praise to him for not getting caught up in in the how, uh, but being able to focus on the person of who Jesus is. And so it is that, as we're here this morning, you may have come uh, with a little bit of doubt. Maybe some doubt about uh, the legitimacy of God. Uh, Maybe um, some doubt about the how. Maybe you're painting a picture of what it looks like um, for God's purpose and plan to be lived out in your life. Uh, Maybe questions about the timing. Why then or why not yet? Um, Or maybe it is that you're faced with a difficult circumstance. And in those moments we have this call not to focus on how God is doing these things in our life, but to put our attention on who God actually is. And so my hope today is that we could be just like that little boy, that we could hold up that paintbrush and say, God, I don't know what it looks like for you to live out your purpose and plan in my life, but won't you paint that picture for me? And may we embrace that promise from Gabriel, that God's Spirit will be upon you, you will be overshadowed by the Most High, for nothing is impossible with God. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful to be gathering together in your presence this morning. We um, don't take it lightly that during this season of Advent that there are some who feel lonely, um, there are some who struggle, um, and not just in this season, but in every season of our lives. God, I I ask that... um, you would help us to dig deep into our hearts and souls. Help us to identify in ourselves the doubt that we might have. And God, let us not paint a picture of what it looks like for you to uh, carry out your purpose and your plan. Um, 
God, let us not focus on how you're doing these things in our life, but let us focus on the person of who you are. Um, God, we love you for everything that you do. We ask for healing, and we ask for your blessing, and we ask for your spirit. Um, we ask that we'll really truly be able to sink in and dive into the meaning of the coming of, of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the work that you did in choosing to reconcile us back to yourself. And we thank you and praise you for who you are and all that you've done. And we um, pray these, names, these things in the name of the Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.